You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, I have a lot of memories of church, tons. Um, this morning, I wanted to share one very specific one with you. Um, in 1990, I was about to graduate from high school, and I know some of you are like, man, you're old, and then some of you are like, you're young. Um, <laughs> But so we were having that thing that you have at every church, you know, graduate recognition Sunday. And so me and all my friends were there in our cap and gown. And, and uh, you know, this is the church where I grew up for most of my life in Arlington, Texas. And uh, it was kind of normal, you know, the service until the chairman of the deacons got up and started talking. Um, which didn't usually happen in a service. And he began sharing with our church family that our pastor, who had been the pastor at Fielder for 15, 20 years, that he was going to step down. And he said, we're going to table this discussion until a special meeting two weeks from tonight to talk about Dr. Everett stepping down and what all that means. And then he kept talking. And as he kept talking and sharing more and more details, finally, people began wondering things, and a hand went up, and a question was called on and asked, and there was a response given. And then another question, hey, you know, and so called on, question asked, response given. Well, so then one of these seniors over there in his cap and gown who had had enough student government to be dangerous to himself, um, thought to himself, now, wait a minute. When we table a discussion, that means we're done with it. And so this kid raises his hand and gets called on and says, "Um, yes, uh, you said that we were going to table the discussion, yet we're still discussing it. In front of 1,100 people. And that was the end of the discussion. I mean, literally, picked the stuff up, walked off the platform. And, and as I'm sure you probably guessed, it was me. <laughs> and I could feel like a laser the heat from my father's stare. He was one section over. And I'm, I almost, his head was like a tomato I don't think he was so much mad at me because he knew I was right as he was just in absolute shock of what in the heck is he doing? Why couldn't somebody else's kid have said that? But so let me just tell you, you know, I I knew things that maybe a lot of people didn't know because my dad was on staff at this church and um, I would listen And I knew that Dr. Everett, for um, some reason, made his wife his secretary. Um, That's a dangerous thing. And it it kind of became this feeling amongst a lot of people 
in, in the church, the staff, and on and on, that the pastor's secretary tried to manipulate and run everything, and um, it got really, really hairy and really, really political and really, really ugly. And so finally, the deacons came to the point of saying to Dr. Everett, you're going to need to step down. And Dr. Everett finally said, okay, I will, but here are the things that you're going to do for me if I'm going to step down, and, and thus the need for the special meeting and so on and so forth. There's two reasons I'm sharing this with you this morning. First of all, to tell you that sadly, my little story is probably nothing compared to what goes on in some churches still today. But I, I also share it with you so that I can tell you, I grew up in what I'll call the old school. Um, I grew up in the church environment where oftentimes deacons tried to run the church, where personnel teams lorded over church staffs, where trustees dictated when and where and why money was going to be spent. And it, it, it really became almost like this dysfunctional democracy. And it looks like and feels like a democracy because everybody who's a member technically has what we would call a vote, but that's not really the case because there's all these little microcosms of government going on in the background that actually run and dictate things. There are a million things wrong with the environment I've just described to you. But the first and foremost thing that's wrong with it is that it is just plain flat unbiblical. You and I have to think that when um, Jesus said, I will build my church, that's not what he really had in mind. Jesus always walked the talk. And what I mean by that is what he said we should do, he did. Um, Jesus loved the way that he's commanded us to love. Jesus gave and shared the way that he expects us to give and to share. And when it comes to leading, this is no different. Jesus set the example with loving, with giving, with sharing, with all those things. Well, he did the same thing with loving. He set the example, the pace, and the standard. And so he gives no exception to this within his church. Jesus got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet and said, if you want to lead, then you will be a servant. Jesus told his disciples, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. As Jesus is building and growing his church, he has made it very, very clear through his word that he has called pastors and elders to lead his church. Um, pastors and elders are not CEOs. They are not trustees. They are not members of management teams. They are absolutely not commanders-in-chief, much less dictators. First and foremost, above all other things, pastors and elders are shepherds and servants. They are called to be shepherds and servants. So what is the role and purpose of elders and pastors in the church? What does that look like or have, how does that have any bearing on your life? What does that mean here at the brook? That's what we want to investigate this morning. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 13. 
in Hebrews 13, look at what verse 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the writer of Hebrews, he's just about to close out this very lengthy letter, which is probably one of the deepest letters we have on Christology, on, on, on learning more and more about who Jesus is and what he did. And he wraps it up by throwing this, this statement in here, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And they're going to give an account for how well they did this. This morning, we want to talk about those who have been given responsibility to keep watch over your souls. Alexander Strock wrote a book called Biblical Eldership. And I will just say, and this is my opinion, that other than the scriptures themselves, Strock's book is probably the standard, it is the best book I've ever seen or read on church leadership. And in it, Listen to what he writes. He says, according to the New Testament concept of eldership, elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, visit the sick and pray, and judge doctrinal issues. Let me give it to you in the simple Brian Mayfield terms. Pastors and elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. Pastors and elders are called to shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the people of God within the local church. Now, you'll notice that in my statement, I use the words elders and pastors. Strzok's book is called Biblical Eldership. He talks about elders in there. Why am I using the words pastors and elders? Here's why. There's a Greek word, which we really, at the end of the day, probably don't care about, but it's poimen, P-O-I-M-E-N. And that word is found all throughout the New Testament, and it means to shepherd, okay? Well, the Latin word, pastor, actually means to shepherd. Here's why this is relevant. The, the word that you find, the New Testament terms for pastor, elder, and overseer, all throughout the New Testament, same term, same word. It's the same word that we find almost every single time that we see any of those words, pastor, elder, overseer, used. They're interchangeable. That being said, here at the Brook, we have pastors and we have elders. So why do we do that? What's the difference? Well, let's talk about it for a couple minutes. The differences. Our pastors here at the Brook all happen to be men that have sensed and answered a calling on their life to full-time vocational ministry. Um, we have gone to school for it. We've studied for it. We have answered a call on our life very early on that that's what we felt God saying you are going to do with your life. Our elders here at the brook do not necessarily feel or sense that calling on their life. 
Um, these are men who work out in the workforce like many, if not most, of you do. Our pastors all have a gifting, a, a calling toward preaching and teaching the word of God. Our elders have more of a calling and a gifting toward governing the church. Really, at the end of the day, the pastors and elders, the two roles and responsibilities that are there that overarch everything else are teaching and governing. And so our pastors here at the Brook have that bent toward teaching and preaching where our elders have more of a bent toward governing the church. Our pastors are very, very much involved in the daily, weekly execution and strategy of ministry here at the Brook, where our elders do a lot more overseeing of the administration of the church. And by that, what we mean is our, our finances, our government, etc. A lot of organizational oversight. And so I know right now that this like this doesn't feel like a really inspirational sermon. Like, this is kind of dry, Brian. Well, here's the deal. It's really, really important that we understand who we're called to be as the church, what God has called that to look like, desires for that to look like, and how we fit into all of this. So again, there are these unique differences, distinctions between our pastors and elders, but probably just as, if not more important, are the commonalities and similarities. That's what I'm going to talk about now. Our elders and our pastors are all called to shepherd, lead, and care for the people of God. Our elders and our pastors, all of us, are called to guard the doctrine and teaching of the church. And again, while I said our pastors are typically the ones that you will see up here, like I am this morning, teaching and preaching and communicating the word of God, that does not for a minute mean that our elders do not have a part in and influence in what it is that we get up here and teach, um, how it is that we get up here and teach it. We are all responsible for guarding what it is that we teach through the scriptures, how we teach them, what it is that we are communicating to the people of God. We are all called to set an example of Christ at every level in our life at home, at work, in the community, period. And I know that obviously we all, as Christians, are called to do that. Well, God says through his word, when you take on this responsibility of overseer, you are basically saying, I am taking on even more responsibility. I will account for this more than anybody else. Pastors and elders essentially are under shepherds who serve the good shepherd by leading and caring for his people. So what I have described to you, this is the biblical model of church leadership. But I want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to look at some instances in scripture as this is described in a little bit more detail. If you look in Acts chapter 20, In Acts chapter 20, 
Paul calls for the Ephesian elders to come and meet him. And he does this because he is getting ready to leave. And he knows that most likely when he leaves, he will never be back. He's not going to see them again. He cares for these men very, very deeply. It's very, very likely that Timothy, Paul's very own disciple, was one of these elders. He calls for these men and he's essentially saying to them the last thing that he's ever going to say to them. And look with me in Acts 20, 28, what he tells them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after I depart, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul begins this by saying to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. The first demand of accountability on our lives as pastors and elders is to ourselves and to one another. The the first demand of accountability is to ourselves and to one another. My life has to be a completely open book to those men. They have to be able to look in and, and, and not passively, but assertively look in and see that I am the same Brian at home that I am when I stand up here. That this is not some sort of facade or show that there is integrity to who I am. We have to have that in our own lives and with one another. Paul goes on and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock into which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There has to be accountability in the lives of the shepherds because they have to make sure that the sheep have accountability as well. If there is no accountability amongst the shepherds, there will not be any amongst the sheep. This is a classic example of what you hear every time you get on an airplane and they say, if... If we lose oxygen and the masks drop, put your own mask on first. And then you can assist other passengers. If if our lives are not guarded by the integrity of God, if they are not being rooted in the word of God, led by the spirit of God, we're not going to be effective leaders. It begins with ourselves. We have to be led by the Lord and by one another so we can effectively lead you. I want to talk a little bit candidly for a minute here and say a couple things. Shepherds don't feed sheep. And and, and if you go home and just Google shepherds, I'm talking literally. You won't find a video or anything of a shepherd down on his knees pulling up grass and shoving it in a sheep's mouth. Shepherds don't feed sheep. What they do is they lead them to where the grass is growing. And what happens with baby sheep or small sheep, 
they instinctively look around at the other sheep. Well, they're eating the green grass. I'll go eat the green grass. And so the older mature sheep lead the sheep to what they ought to do. The shepherds lead them to where the grass is. They don't allow them to eat garbage. They make sure that they are learning to eat and that they're being nourished. This is what it means, the mandate on the life of a pastor or elder to preach the word of God and to guard the doctrine of the church. Um, I get some folks a little bit irritated at times because I have this tendency to call out um, what I believe is false teaching. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent this morning. Um, But every once in a while, I will make a statement, write a blog post about how something like prosperity theology is a false gospel. It will lead people to nowhere. And I will get messages, sometimes public, sometimes private. Hey, Brian... Why can't you leave Joel Osteen alone? Why can't you leave Pastor Jakes alone? Why can't you leave these guys alone? They're men of God just like you are. Well, that's fine, but they're preaching a gospel other than the one that the scriptures teach. And if I have any inclination whatsoever to believe that one of my sheep might start eating that crappy grass, I'm going to do something about it. Okay. Why? Well, because a good shepherd hunts down wolves. A good shepherd doesn't sit there on his butt and wait to watch and see his sheep being drug away in the mouth of a wolf. They go out and they hunt down the wolves they know are preying on their sheep. A good shepherd is alert to danger. He isn't caught off guard. He protects his sheep. And so all of that tells us that a good shepherd cannot be passive. A good shepherd has to be alert, has to be intentional, has to be assertive. Pastors and elders, the scriptures demand that they be strong in the Lord, seeking his wisdom, understanding that on their own, they have nothing. Um, This means that we have to be diligent students and really at the end of the day, submitted bond servants to the word of God that it is consuming and ruling over every part of our lives, constantly re-surrendered to the good shepherd. We are called to lead, oversee, and care for the flock. And I think that everything that I've described to you, for the most part, it's kind of easy for us to swallow. Yes, I think pastors should do those things. But along with that means that there are times part of our responsibility is confronting sin. Look with me in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, which is one of, if not the last letter that Paul wrote, writing to his own disciple, he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. They will be deceived and led away by wolves. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Turn the page, literally one page, into Paul's letter to Titus. Paul is writing to Titus about establishing elders in the church at Crete, which Titus will be one of. And after he begins telling Titus, here are the qualifications for these men that you will appoint as elders, he then begins instructing him on teaching sound doctrine. And if you look at Titus chapter 2, verse 15, how Paul wraps that up, he says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Again, as I said, I think that a lot of the stuff I've described up to this point is really easy for us to accept. Most of us want to know that there is somebody there who is giving us guidance to teach us, to pray with us, to pray over us, to counsel and comfort us, to lead us. We're good with the encouragement, the exhortation. We even might want some of that admonishing. We don't even know what that means, but hey, let's do it. But when it comes to reproving and rebuking. That's when sometimes our tune changes. Hebrews 13, 17 that we started with this morning. The very first word of, of that scripture is obey. That makes a bunch of us squeamish. A couple of years ago, one of our pastors had someone come to him. And this person, um, this wasn't an appointment, just kind of showed up and began sharing some real, real frustration because he was trying, this person was trying to get involved in something outside of, of the church. And in applying for this, um, confessed that he had just very, very recently overcome an addiction to pornography. And because of confessing that this had happened, this organization had to say, we're going to have to wait and work through some of this with you before we can just put a green light on this. This person was not coming to our pastor to confess this and say, I'm still repenting and on and on. He was really coming to confess his frustration that he was suffering from consequences from this sin. And in the midst of this, our pastor had to say, uh, time out. I've just kind of put you in a role of serving, and now we're getting ready to meet and start talking about leading. Um, I'm going to need to ask you to hit the pause button. And, and we're going to need to pull you back from that. Because I need to make sure, I need to meet with you, I need to make sure that you have set up boundaries and safeguards and accountability in your life that this won't happen again. This wasn't met with okay. This was met with more frustration and resistance. This led to this person meeting with several of our pastors and elders to simply communicate, we're not trying to tell you that you've ruined your life forever. 
We're not trying to tell you that you've disqualified yourself from serving in the church forever. But what we are trying to tell you is we care more about you, your spiritual health, your family, your integrity, your purity, and your holiness than we do whether or not you're going to serve every once in a while on a Sunday in this position. That's way more important. But what we were met with was you guys are abusing authority. I don't even know what spiritual authority means. Explain this to me. It really got ugly. And you might be uncomfortable right now going, is this person in the room? No, of course they're not because they're not here anymore because they packed their stuff and left. On more than one occasion, we have helped people who are in need possibly financially with benevolence issues. And and I'm going to tell you, as your church family, we are here to help you. There are times when stuff happens in life that we can't even possibly see coming, and we need help. But I also want you to know that there are sometimes people in help because they keep making life choices that enable them to just stay there forever. And there comes a point at times when I have to say, look, as your church family, we're not going to pay any more rent while you're still paying for your iPhone. There has to be some common sense with some things. And I'm not going to enable you to keep crutching the church, if you will. And most of those people leave. Why is that? It's because we are totally great with being loved, comforted, prayed over, led, and all of that. But we don't want to be reproved or rebuked. We don't. I'm saying that to you empathetically because I don't either. It's just the fact of the matter. Now, maybe some of you this morning are thinking to yourself, now, wait a minute. Aren't we actually all called to reprove and rebuke one another at times. Absolutely. We are. Go back to the very first sermon, which was the very first sermon very much on purpose in this series, that as the people of God, as followers of Christ, as inhabitants of the Holy Spirit of God, we have been given the keys to the kingdom. And we are supposed to, call to, responsible to speak the truth in love into one another's lives. And so if that's the case within the church, it makes all the sense in the world that Paul, moreover, Jesus has said, someone has to set that example. And that's another reason why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, the people who choose to do this, they better pray and pray and pray over whether or not they're going to accept this responsibility because it is a heavy-duty responsibility. But yes, we are all called to it. Somebody else might be tempted to think, well, it's real convenient for you to get up there and like wave the authority wand over yourself. You know, the way I will address that is by saying this. I have never and will never sit down with my children and apologize to them that because God gave them to me as my children and gave me to them as their father, I'm not going to apologize to them that part of that means I have to discipline them. 
I'm not going to apologize to you that God has called me here to be one of the pastors to accept the responsibility of that authority. And it is a heavy duty responsibility. There are times that I lose sleep for you. Maybe it's because I'm burdened and I'm praying. There are times when we lose sleep because we're literally at somebody's house at two o'clock in the morning because that just happens to be the time that crap happens in life. If my phone rings at two, I'm going to assume that maybe you don't need to leave me a voicemail. It happens. But hear me, please. As heavy or big as a responsibility as any of this is, it is way, way, way more an overwhelming privilege. It is a privilege to lead the people of God. Overwhelming privilege. I want to close this morning looking with you in 1 Peter. What Peter writes to the elders of several churches. In 1 Peter 5, verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter says that effective pastors and elders realize they are caring for God's flock, not their own. Period. Effective pastors and elders lead out of a desire and out of a willingness, not out of some begrudged obligation. Effective pastors and elders think first about what they can give, not what they're going to get. They also lead by example, not by some sort of domineering force. And last but certainly not least, Peter says that effective pastors and elders, and quite frankly, effective Christians know that pride is the greatest enemy to servant leadership. And remember, servant leadership, that's Christ-likeness. Pride is the greatest enemy to us understanding the authority that God has placed on each of us over one another's lives to be able to say to one another, I love you and I need you to know that I'm not going to sit here and just scratch my head while you walk into a ditch. I'm going to pull you out of that ditch and I'm going to walk with you. We are here to humbly serve alongside you. Um, We are here to gently at times correct, maybe even rebuke you. But know this, there is a whole lot more and frequent correcting and rebuking going on in our lives with one another 
than there is with you. And probably our spouses correcting and rebuking us sometimes too. For very good reasons. We are here to persistently pray, not just for you, but with you and over you. And we are here, God willing, to courageously and faithfully lead you. That is our desire. I want to close this morning with the only scripture I could find fitting to close this with. These are Paul's words at the beginning of Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we are reminded that you said that you will build your church. We know that 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 means that you are going to constantly be transforming and changing our lives because we are the church. And Lord, we are here today, we are gathered as your people to just come and say, Lord, our lives are surrendered to you. Lord, we know in these next moments that there are some of us that you need to lead us once again to a place of repentance for worshiping other things, for living for other things, for thinking we might find satisfaction in other things. Lord, we thank you that when you do come and you correct us and you rebuke us, that it is always with gentleness and compassion and mercy. But Lord, we also pray that you would remind us once again today that your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Lord, our desire as a church is to truly wholeheartedly follow you, to lead like you, to serve like you, to love like you. Lord, we pray that you would go to war in each of our lives against pride. Give us the humility to live as an open book to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Holy Spirit, we just pray that in this moment that you would have the freedom to speak into our hearts, transform our thoughts. 
Lord, we pray that you would speak into the places where maybe we are in need of conviction this morning. Or maybe we're in need of comfort. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we exalt you. We praise you. We worship you. And we know that that means that our life, our life has to be lived outside of the door the way our heart is stirred in this room. Lord, we just pray that your grace and mercy would refresh our souls today. In just a moment, if you need to come to the steps as we sing together, if you need to come and and just pray, maybe come to the foot of the cross, Please come. If you're here this morning and need someone to pray with you, you need someone to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ, some of our pastors, elders, leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you, pray with you. Lord Jesus, be exalted in these moments in our lives. Let's stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.